You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. How's it going? Welcome back to another edition of the Teledabs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs. And before we get into any of the action of today's episode, first a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook to use, but it is also America's top-rated sportsbook, and it is not hard to imagine why. DraftKings Sportsbook is easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all of the action, no matter the sport. And if you're looking to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, they've got a great offer for you. DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. That's right, pick any basketball team that is still in contention, bet $1, and if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. But don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook also offers great odds on basically any sport imaginable, including hockey. So if you want to get in on the action as the semifinals heat up as we get to the elimination games, DraftKings Sportsbook is the place for you. They are safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits. Bet on the basketball team of your choice to win their next game, and if they do, you will claim $100 in free credits. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. So how's everybody doing today? Hope you've been enjoying the hockey over the last week. I know I certainly have. I'm getting, at least so far, the two results that I want between Tampa, New York, and Montreal, Vegas, Tampa Bay, currently up in the series 3-2, to two. game 6 currently in progress right now as we speak, with the Lightning having a one nothing lead, and Montreal one win away from the Stanley Cup Final, and more importantly to me, one win away from eliminating the Vegas Golden Knights with game 6 coming up tomorrow. And I did, I mean, if you've been listening, you've known my thoughts on Montreal, the Canadian division, and even just this series. I did not think this was going to be close. I thought the Canadian division was terrible. I thought Montreal was not that good. And hey, I was wrong on all counts. And over the last few days, I've seen a lot of people doubling down on a lot of their takes when it comes to the North Division throughout the season. And like, oh, well, Montreal's on a heater right now. This doesn't actually mean that the North Division is any good or that I was wrong. And I I just, if you're one of those people right now that feels the need to double down 
on the, well, the Canadian division sucked and this is just a lucky streak. Isn't that the point? Isn't that what makes this so fun? Is that not what we watch sports for? Like, we, we need to collectively stop defending our silly little takes and just enjoy the ride. I could not have been more wrong about basically Montreal's entire season and the Canadian division. I mean, does this mean that the other teams in the Canadian division are any good? No. But what Montreal is doing right now, they were down 3-1 in the first round to the Maple Leafs. I, I had them basically in the grave already. I barely, I thought maybe they could force a game six. I picked Toronto in six in that series. And then they came back and won the damn thing. And then I picked Winnipeg to beat Montreal in six. They swept Winnipeg. And I picked Vegas to beat Montreal in five. And even if Montreal loses this series, Vegas comes back, it will have to be in seven. What Montreal is doing right now is a like a 1% of a 1% kind of run that we might not see for a long time and that we have not seen in a fair bit. You know, you've, we've seen low-seeded teams make deep runs before. My mind goes to Nashville of 2017. But that Nashville team was... I'd say there was the attitude surrounding them was nowhere near the Canadians of right now. That Nashville team was pretty damn good in the regular season. Like they I don't remember the exact scenario surrounding them, but they were much better than the second wild card in the Western Conference that year. That's just where they happened to end up that year. They were pretty damn good. And like last year we saw like the six seed Islanders make a run to the conference final and like, it, it happens, but we've not seen one like this in a minute. Like, Montreal, they got off to a hot start this season, and you had the Chris Johnson tweet calling them juggernauts that got mocked relentlessly a month later when the Habs fell off a cliff, and they stumbled through the rest of the regular season, and if, it, if they weren't in the Canadian division, they would not have made the playoffs, but they did. They... They realistically should have been swept by the Leafs. I mean, game one, the Leafs lost Tavares, and Montreal won that game. And down 3-1 in that series, Montreal came all the way back against all odds and won that series. They swept Winnipeg. I mean, they made Winnipeg, a not-great team, look like they didn't even belong in the playoffs, which is impressive enough on its own. And now here they are against Vegas where everyone's like, yep, here we go. This is this is the time it all falls apart for them and they're going to lose. And they're one win away from their first Stanley Cup final since 1993. And you've got all these people on Twitter being like, well, see, I'm not actually wrong because this is an outlier and this is statistically improbable. Isn't that what makes it fun? Isn't that what makes sports fun? Yes, you're absolutely right. Montreal should not be here. That's the point. That's why this is so fun. This is a run that we're not going to see probably again for a long time, even if Vegas comes back and wins this series. Like, we're never going to have another Canadian division again. We're never going to see, like, the worst team in the worst division go on like a power of friendship kind of run. Like, you're right. It's not supposed to happen. So why are you complaining about it? That's what makes this so fun. Just enjoy it. Stop worrying about being right about it. Like, the, it's such an asinine take. Like, oh, the Canadian division 
is bad and to just wait until they face off against a, a real team in the conference final or the, the, the semifinal because it's going to be one of the good teams, probably Colorado or Vegas. Ends up being Vegas. Damn good team. Tied for first with Colorado in the regular season, and they're about to eliminate them. We're going to game six in Montreal with the with the with them having the first opportunity to advance to the Stanley Cup final in nearly 30 years. With all the crap that's happened with COVID in Canada for the last 18 months or so, like, and you're worried about being right about the Canadian division. Like, just, you don't even have to say you were wrong. Like, just enjoy it. Like, you, like, Montreal went up 3-0 last night, and my timeline on Twitter was just bombarded with verified Twitter accounts, too. Like, people who cover the sport being like, well, this doesn't actually mean that the Canadian division is any good. Who cares? The Canadian division is already over. We're never going to see another Canadian division game again. That's already over. The divisions are done. Like, this is supposed to be fun. This This run has honestly just reminded me of what sports are supposed to be, and it's fun. It's fun seeing Canadians fans go crazy, and, like, they're not supposed to beat Vegas. That's what makes this so unbelievable to me and so fun. I picked them to get destroyed, and they are shutting down the Golden Knights. Like, Pacioretty scored last night, and I believe, what, he's, like, the third forward in that series to score, and, like, the first one in their top six? to score a goal in this series against the Canadians? That's crazy. And, like, Montreal has a historic penalty kill right now. If I remember it right, 28 penalties killed in a row, which is, like, the best since, like, the 1930s or something. Unbelievable. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime kind of run. So don't worry about being right or, like, trying to find evidence that, like, oh, well, this is a mirage and the Canadian division is actually bad. Who cares? I am fully on the Montreal bandwagon right now. I hope they finish the job on Thursday against the Golden Knights. And I hope they go all the way and win the Cup, because that would be unbelievable. Because right now, Tampa Bay's up one nothing on the Islanders in Game 6. I want Tampa Bay to win this game and move on. And I want Montreal to play Tampa in the final. That would be a lot of fun. That would be a very fun series and a rematch in in coming years that we'd probably see like four or five times a year. Like this would be a final that would go down in history. You know, I personally don't have a preference for, well, I, I'd probably root for Montreal a little bit in that final, but if Tampa wins, I wouldn't care. But like, this would just be fun. It's just fun. And like, there's, there's this obsession online on Twitter about being right and dunking on Canada, like, just enjoy the ride, like, Montreal might lose the next two games, they might, they might lose to Vegas, still, it's still a series, it's 3-2, Vegas has to win one game on the road, which they've done in Montreal already in game four, and then they gotta win a game at home, which they did against Minnesota, you know, and I think Vegas has a very strong chance at that if they start Robin Leonard, I do not know why they started Marc-Andre Fleury in game five, it just seemed like pandering at that point when Robin Leonard played so well in game four against Montreal like he let in one goal it was a breakaway goal and you immediately you had Flurry in game five diving all over the net like completely lost couldn't get a save like 
I get people love him and I get people want to see him succeed and I get he was amazing all year, but he just has not had it really these playoffs. He's been great in certain games these playoffs, especially against Colorado, but he wasn't unbeatable. And he's definitely been very beatable against Montreal. And part of the one of the reasons I was so frustrated that we lost to Vegas was that Flurry was not that good. We very easily could have beaten him and finished the job in that series. Like that the problem was not getting stonewalled by Flurry. It was the fact that we couldn't keep pucks out of our own net and capitalize on our own momentum. And Robin Leonard had one bad game in game one of that series. And they put they even put him in in this game four against Montreal because they needed Flurry to get a rest. Like you need to start Leonard the rest of the way here until he gives you a reason not to. Like Leonard was the starter. Like I I never understood the Robin Leonard disrespect. Like even dating back to game one against Colorado. Like yeah he played terrible, but it also came out that he was injured. And like the the slander he took coming into game four I thought I thought was incredibly disrespectful he agrees I mean he had a very bizarre comment like I showed up to the arena two hours early to read all the takes about me to get me fired up and he and he ended that with I don't care what you guys think all right Robin I'm sure I'm sure you don't care one bit what anybody thinks with a pregame routine like that but regardless Robin Leonard is a very solid goalie and if Vegas starts him in game six and sequentially game seven. If that happens, they have a solid shot at winning this series. I mean, he would still be the second best goalie in this series because Carey Price is, he's in another dimension right now. And just, I don't want to say carrying the Canadians because that sounds like the Canadians have been playing bad, but he has been unbeatable for them. And the Nick Suzuki Pacioretty trade, like, it's a storyline, but it just, it's not even being talked about as much as I would have thought because, like, that was a big deal. And Pacioretty, like, he's got, what, three points in this series, a goal and two assists. Like, not great, but not being shut out. But Nick Suzuki, who was the other return in that deal, has been unbelievable for the Canadians. I saw a thing, like, he has 10 points in his last 12 games or something, and he's been unbelievable against the Golden Knights. Like, they traded the wrong center in the Pacioretty trade. They really did. They sh- like they wanted to keep Cody Glass, and they were fine with trading Suzuki. Oh, boy, has that come back to bite them badly. Like, th- like this is just such a fun series. I can't believe Montreal is one win away from doing the thing, and we're a win away from having a Stanley Cup final in Montreal, which is just going to be so much fun and that we don't have to suffer through any more Vegas nonsense because they've been just as insufferable in this series. I mean, seeing Montreal win two games in Vegas in this series, like, yeah, I'm cheering for them and everything, and but, man, that just stings me to my core, like... We couldn't do that once. We couldn't beat them in Vegas one time. And Montreal can do it twice. And Minnesota can do it twice, but we can't. That still rubs me the wrong way, no matter how much I am cheering 
for the Canadians in this series. And I really, really hope that they get the job done in Game 6. To see them advance to the Stanley Cup Final at home for the first time since 1993 would just would be a tr- it'd be a treat for hockey fans to watch. I mean, I know there's just like a, a contingent of American fans that like they don't want to see Canada win a Stanley Cup and this drought is amusing for them and I agree to an extent, but like it's cool at the same time. It's, it's not like this is the Leafs where it's like a a powerhouse Canadian team doing it. Like this is the underdog of all underdogs in these playoffs. Like if I could go back and find the odds for coming into these playoffs, like, odds to win the Stanley Cup, I want to see where Montreal would have ranked. I think they would they would have definitely been near the bottom. Like, maybe below, maybe above St. Louis at minimum, or, like, Nashville. But they would have been at least bottom three. So, it's not like this is, like, a Leafs team doing it and, like, being insufferable about it. This is a fun story. I hope they finish the job, and I just hope I hope Vegas is done. I don't want to see them go anywhere past this series. I am fully on the Habs bandwagon, but enough about the semifinals for right now. I'm currently watching the Islanders and Tampa Bay play right now. If anything of importance happens, I'll make a comment about it. I mean, I have the sound off, so I can't really say much about what's going on outside of just what my eyes are telling me. But let's move on to the the real topic of today's episode, and that is probably the most significant contract that the Avalanche are going to be signing this offseason, and that is the one and only Mr. Kale McCarr, who is due to get his money before next season begins. He is an RFA coming out of his three-year entry-level contract, Year one of that contract was burned when the Avalanche made him make his debut in the playoffs of 2019 against Calgary. I'll remember his first game, game three against Calgary. He scores a goal in that game. Big reason as to why the Avalanche were able to put the Flames away so efficiently and a big reason why that they were able to put up such a fight against the Sharks. And over the last two seasons, he has been essentially almost a point-per-game player. And his contract situation is unique. I mean, for the last two episodes with Landeskog and Grubauer, I've had a bunch of comparable contracts to look at. And this is what this guy like him gets and what we can expect. For Kale McCarr, there's really only one that I can find that is even remotely comparable and even then it's it's really not and that is the contract that Thomas Shabbat is on right now with the Ottawa Senators. Now Shabbat signed his contract at 23 years old. Makar will be signing at 22 years old. Shabbat we're being honest nowhere near the caliber of a Kale Makar but Thomas Shabbat is a is a top pair defenseman and one of the better pieces that the Ottawa Senators have. And I'm pretty sure, when did he sign it? He signs this contract in the preseason of 2019. So coming into the season that that eventually got shorted. So he signs it after his 
55-point season breakout in 70 games with the Senators the year before. And his contract is 8 times 8. $8 million a year for 8 years, $64 million. The only thing really comparable about it is a long-term contract with a high cap hit for a young defenseman coming out of his ELC. And comparisons really end there because... If Kale McCarr signs an eight-year contract, he is going to be well above $8 million a year, and deservedly so. I mean, I plugged in Shabbat's contract into something comparable and adjusted it a little off of that. I upped it to about $9.5 million, and the comparables are Shabbat at an 86.5 match, and then the only one above 80 is Aaron Ekblad who signed a $7.5 million contract for eight years in 2016 when he was 20 years old. And both of these hits, I mean, Shabbat's is a 9.82 percentage of the cap. Ekblad's is about 10%. If we're looking at cap hit percentage, probably going to be about the same, much closer to Ekblad's, I imagine. But... Kale McCarr is going to get paid, and these two, while they are technically comparable contracts, they don't really compare to what Kale McCarr is as a player and the kind of contract that he's going to get. The one thing that I am pretty sure of is that McCarr is not going to get a short-term deal like a bridge deal or anything like that, and I think I think they're gonna lock him up long term between six to eight years, and from what I what I understand, that's what Makar's camp is open to as well, and that they're already working on that. So, I'm confident that this contract is gonna be over six years. I I imagine for a player like Makar's caliber, you sign him to the eight year deal, and just get it locked in, no matter what the AAV is. Now, in terms of his cap hit, my brain without any rationality or any like anything else going into it. Whenever I think about this contract and what he's going to get, my brain goes to $10 million a year times eight, an $80 million contract. Is he going to get that? I don't know, but if his camp is asking for around that, it's hard to deny him. And I think he's going to be the highest paid player on the team right now the highest paid player on the team is Miko Rantanen at 9.25 he signed a 6 year contract about in 2019 at 6 year contract at 9.25 per it's a so- i mean for an in team comparison that's a solid comparable i think Makar is going to make over that i can't really imagine it being less than 9.5 if it if this contract is over six years and it's less than nine million dollars that means Makar is taking a discount and i'd really say anything less than 9.5 is you count your lucky stars 9.5 is more than fair for a player like Makar of his caliber with all the growth that he still has to do i mean he's still just 22 years old he won the, the calder in his first full season and then is currently nominated for the Norris right now. He could still win the Norris as we speak. They're still announcing all of the awards right now, and we can find out in probably the coming days or so 
if Kale McCarr is in fact the first defenseman since Bobby Orr to win a Calder and a Norris in back-to-back seasons. But I think whether or not he wins the Norris is ultimately irrelevant to the contract talks as it is. I don't think the, his agent is going to be like, well, you see that? That's going to add a million dollars to the price. I think both sides know the capability of Kale McCarr and Sackick and everybody else knows that McCarr is realistically, barring disaster, going to win his share of Norris's over the next few seasons. And I can't imagine that this is less than 9.5. I mean, maybe it's not a full eight years if his camp doesn't want that. So let's say McCarr signs that eight-year contract. That'll take him to being 30 years old. He's 22 right now and probably more likely to him being 31 years old and likely not in his prime anymore at that point, but he still just got paid a ridiculous amount of money. And as we've saw with like the Alex Petrangelo's and the Drew Doughty's and the Eric Carlson's of the world, if you consistently maintain a level of elite play in the NHL as an elite defenseman, you're going to get paid. I mean, Eric Carlson is currently riding one of the worst contracts in the league because of his injury history, to be fair. Of, I forget, like 11, 11.5 million for eight years. Doughty, 11 million for eight years. Alex Petrangelo just signed a long contract with Vegas. Wasn't nearly as much as that amount. It was about nine, I think. I think it was a little less right now. But yeah, 8.8 for seven years, I believe. Yeah, 8.8 for seven years. So he'll still get paid going into UFA right out of that contract. But if they want to squeeze a little more value out of that contract, maybe his camp asks for six or seven. If you're if you're Joe Sackick and you're the Avalanche organization, you just sign him for eight years right now. You bite the bullet and you you just don't worry about it anymore after this. You just get it done and you don't think about it anymore you sign him for the big money 9.5 or even 10 if it comes to that and honestly even if it is 10 you're you don't complain you and if it's gonna cost you a guy on the roster you make room for a player like kale mccarr and you sign him for as long as possible and just don't worry about it anymore this is our guy this is our core player and it's better to just have him locked up than to do this again in three years. And from a, from Makar's perspective, there's not really going to be much benefit to like kicking the can down the road on like a two-year bridge deal for more money down the road. Because how much money is that going to really be? Like, like just theoretically, just for the sake of conversation, I'm pulling this out of nowhere, he signs a two-year deal for $7 million a year. Like just That's based on nothing, just purely to advance the conversation. Those two years are up, but let's say he wins a Norris in that span, and he's nominated for another one. Like The cap isn't going up in those two years, most, most likely. I mean, a couple episodes ago, I had my rant about, like, the cap's probably going to go up at some point, but, like, in two years, probably not. And even if it, by three years it does, it's not going to be by a lot. How much money are you going to get that you're not going to get on this one? Like, let's say, say for this one, his contract, if it's 
seven, eight years, it's between like 9.5 and 10. Let's say he signs a bridge deal. Like, what's the next one going to be? Like, 10.5 and 11? Like, okay, like, that's an extra million, but, like, that's not going to be, like, the break-the-bank payday that you're looking for with a bridge deal. Like, it, it just makes sense to get the long-term deal security now. Because one thing that I've kind of thought about is, like, Makar's dealt with a few injuries during his career, and... I think for a player that caliber, if you're offered an above a $9 million contract and immediately becoming one of the highest paid players in the league, especially among defensemen, and you're getting long-term security on that contract, I don't know how you turn that down, especially when you don't have that kind of savings already in your career. Because Makar's coming off an entry-level deal. like He's made just under $2 million in his career. Like I, I know, boo-hoo. $2 million. I wish I had that. But compared to other players, he doesn't have that level of savings that someone else would have, like, when they would consider a riskier, shorter-term deal. Like, if Makar gets injured in that span, he's going to be shit out of luck, and he's not going to get as much on that next deal. If he gets that security now, he's going to get that money no matter what, and it's going to take him to about 30. And if he goes the trajectory that we all think that he's going to get, he's going to get a significant raise even at that point. Because I think Makar is on pace to be a Hall of Fame level defenseman, just from the trajectory we've seen so far and all the comparables and you look at just his play so far. If he develops the way we think he is, He's still going to get paid a lot of money at 30 years old, whether it's from the Avalanche to keep him or from another team. Like, because who knows what, like, like, let's just say eight years. Who knows what the fuck the world is going to look like in eight years? I mean, eight years ago, I was 12 years old, and the world was a, a bit different back then. In, in eight years, I can't even imagine where my life is going to be at that point, let, let alone the world. I mean... Like, do you even remember when Gabe Landeskog signed his last contract with the Avalanche? Do we even remember that? He signed that contract back in 2013. That was a seven-year contract he signed back in 2013. And that contract is now finally expiring. Look how different the league is. Look how different the world is. Look how different he is. Like... That's what I mean with sign him, sign Makar to a long-term deal. That becomes a problem that does not even begin to cross your mind for at least another six years. Because then in year six, it's two years away, and then it maybe becomes something. But like during the key years of Stanley Cup contention, you don't even think about it. He's there. He's always going to be there. You're never going to move him barring disasters or one of the biggest trades in NHL history, which maybe could happen, but just sign him long-term. It makes sense for the team, and it makes sense for his camp with just how the cap is going to look over the next few years, and just, just get it done with. Get it out of your hair and get it done with, because like we signed McKinnon to a six-year deal, and that I mean, that's the steal of all steals. I'm sorry, a seven-year contract back in 2016. I mean, just think about how different things were 
back then. So just sign Makar long-term. I don't really think there's like a bad contract that can come out of this. Like, I, like I've talked with Landeskog and Grubauer. I have maximum comfort levels with them. With Makar, I kind of don't care. I mean, as long as it's not like 12 or $13 million, as long as this isn't like a, a Mitch Marner situation where he's clearly getting more than he's worth just to get paid an extra few million dollars. Around, like around 10, like even if it's approaching 11, I'd be like, that's a lot, but this is Kale fucking Makar. He's going to be worth that. And... I think both I think both parties understand here what this team is and like what we're trying to do here. We're trying to win a cup. Anything over 10 might put us in a bad spot, but like if it comes to that, we'd be willing to make the room. I th- I think this is going to end up being around 10. I don't know if like saying it out loud, I don't think it's going to be 10. But I do think Makar is going to be the highest paid player on this team for game one of the season next year. I mean, another thing with RFAs is that, like, this contract could be signed tomorrow or it could be signed in September. Like, with RFAs, you just don't know. I mean, the Toronto Maple Leafs have given themselves and a lot of other fan bases anxiety when it comes to RFAs with the Nylander and the Marner situations. But that's neither here nor there. But... Point being, like, Makar could sign an eight-year deal tomorrow, and we know, like, the offseason looks like after that. Or he could sign during training camp, because you just never know sometimes with these agents and negotiation styles and just kicking the can down the road. I mean, in an ideal world, this gets signed before free agency begins, and you have a better idea of what you can spend, and you don't have to worry about the the cap in the offseason, everything. You can go 10 or 15% above the cap in the offseason. But, like, if you're signing Makar in training camp and it's going to push you over the limit, you still got work to do with moving a guy up or down or something and finding something else to do. So, ideally, you want to get this done now, but th- but things rarely ever go the way you want them to sometimes. It's whatever can go wrong will go wrong. But as long as both parties are willing to work towards a deal, which by all indications that I have seen from multiple sources on Twitter, I mean, I don't have it. I don't have any inside sources. I'm just some dude. But from all the indications I've seen online, it, there's been no reason to think that something's like going to go sour here, that talks are going to go cold or that like another side's going to like try to play hardball. It's not like Sackick's going to offer him like six million for six years and take it or leave it or that Makar's camp is asking for 12 or something ridiculous like that. It seems like they're already grinding away on it and trying to find some common ground, and they're going to work from there. It seems like it's just going to be a pretty straightforward negotiation, and it's going to come to a reasonable conclusion at the end of the day because Colorado, obviously, this is their guy. Like, outside of McKinnon, this is their other guy, like their franchise cornerstone face guy. You pay whatever you have to to keep him, and Makar's camp understands, like, okay, well, we can't ask for, like, even if, like, Makar wins the Norris within the next week, we all understand that, like, 
we can't ask for 12 or anything like that or else we're going to be putting the team in a real bad spot. But he's going to get paid. Like, I think we're going to look at an eight-year deal. I think that's ultimately what's going to come down here. And it's going to be 9.5. Might be closer to 10, but I think 9.5 times 8 is a solid contract. If I could just, like, find most expensive contracts for a defenseman in the NHL right now, I wonder if I could find that on Cap Friendly real quick. Okay, it comes up just like that. So, oh, wow. So... The, that would make Kale McCarr the third highest paid defenseman in the NHL. And because only four defensemen in the league make above $9 million, and there's only two that make above 10, and neither of them make below 11. Eric Carlson, I mean, we talked about this a little earlier. Eric Carlson makes 11.5 a year. Drew Doughty makes 11 a year. And third is Roman Yossi, who makes $9.059 million a year. And P.K. Subban makes $9 million a year. Alex Petrangelo, who just signed his deal in the offseason, makes $8.8 for the next seven years. So if Makar, if Makar signs anything above 9.1, he immediately becomes the third highest paid defenseman in the NHL. And it's hard to argue. I mean, he deserves it. Thomas Shabbat, is the, he's tied for seventh for highest paid defenseman in the NHL with Jacob Truba, by the way. So Shabbat's already the seventh highest paid defenseman in the NHL, and he's... I love Thomas Shabbat. I don't want to come off as disrespect for Thomas Shabbat. He's an excellent defenseman, but he's he's not nominated for the Norris or anything. He's an excellent defenseman. He's going to have a great career with the Senators. He might get a Norris nomination one day, but it's not now, and he's already two years older than Makar. So Makar, we're looking at that probably around 9.5, and... That's a pretty significant raise that you're going to have to be ready to to handle because this is going to be what makes the salary cap harder for next year. You're going from having Makar at, what was it, like, I don't even remember, 8.8 against the cap, eight like, I'm sorry, 880,000, not 8.8 million, 880,000 against the cap, not even a million against the cap, to having him at, hypothetically, 9.5. You're looking at an above $9 million raise and immediately now the highest paid player on the team. And and like and this is just where it all starts to add up cuz this team like they've got a respectable amount of cap space to work with this offseason. Like I could never do the math before when calculating cap space, but now that cap friendly is kind of updated to offseason mode, the the Avalanche have 25 million in cap space to work with, which sounds like a lot. But once like, let's just say Landeskog gets 6.5 and Makar gets 9.5. That comes out to around, that comes out to $16 million. And that's in two players already. You've got $9 million left to play with. You've still got to look at Brandon Saad and Tyson Jost. We'll talk about Jost more in the next episode. And then you've got Philip Grubauer. So, so let's, say, let's say they sign Grubauer. You add that to the mix. And so let's say... You add another six million dollars to that. It's like just I pulled that number out of my ass. Six million dollars. You've already spent twenty-two million dollars on three players, and you've got three million dollars left to work with. That means no. That means bye bye sod. Bye bye every other UFA. Maybe you can fit Jost under there, but that that means bye bye everybody else. That means no sod. Belmar. I mean Belmar is gone, but like. 
That means no off-season signings. That means if you are not making a trade or making some kind of move, your off-season is done after that. And that means by process of elimination, you're icing a worse team. Now, there is going to be salary taken off of the books in the expansion draft, whether it's Don Skoy and his 3.9 or Graves and his 3.1 or Comfer and his 3.5 or if, like or Kadri and his 4.5. That won't happen, but just hypothetically. So they're, they're going to have more money to work with after expansion, but it's not going to be a lot. So maybe... So let's just say they make no trades. They make no trades whatsoever. Everyone who they want to keep is kept. They have no choice in the matter in the expansion draft. They, that choice is taken out of their hands. So let's say Don Skoy gets taken at 3.9. So that gives you some flexibility to work with, but you're probably going to have to spend that money on replacing Don Skoy. And, I mean, we talked about Jost I'd just hypothetically, we'll talk about this more and like all the other pieces next episode, $3 million. We'll just leave it at that for right now. I mean, that already has taken up to 25. Then the 3.9 gets cleared up by Donskoy. You're just going to have to spend that money on getting another Donskoy and replacing him. So, Makar's contract, I... It's going to be above 9. It's it's almost certainly going to be more than Rantanen's. I I think 9.5 is fair here and unless his agents become real sticklers about it i just i don't think this is going to be that much of a problem i think we're going to come to a pretty natural conclusion here and i've i've seen the the hinges of concern with offer sheets and everything from parts of the fan base guys they're not going to offer sheet him the thing with offer sheets is that they exist in the CBA but that doesn't mean teams do the mark bergevan offer sheeted sebastian aho in 2019 and Carolina literally laughed like basically actively laughed on Twitter like yeah fuck you we're gonna sign him anyway because for those who don't know offer sheets when someone is a restricted free agent they can still sign a contract with another team so like let's just use the Ajo situation for an example Montreal offer sheeted Sebastian Ajo from Carolina and Sebastian Ajo signed that contract. That's what. That's also what has to happen. They have to s- physically sign the contract. It's not like signing a... Well, it is like signing a UFA. But the difference is, is that... Okay, so I have it in front of me now. So Montreal offer-sheeted Sebastian Ajo for about $4.6 million a year, which met a certain threshold of compensation... For Carolina. So the thing is that Ajo signed that contract with the Canadians and Carolina has a week to match that contract. And if they match it, the player's theirs for that contract. If they didn't match it, they would get a certain number of picks. I believe for this one, it would have been like a two firsts and a couple seconds. I know for what we're talking about with McCarr, like which is 9.5, it would be four first-round picks. No, actually, it wouldn't be. that. Anything above... Okay, so this might have changed. Actually, it didn't change at all. But So the compensation for offer sheets for, for anything above 10.9 is four first-round picks. Between 8.76 and 10.9 is two firsts, a second, and a third. But the thing with this situation is, is that 
for the Avalanche to not match the contract, it'll probably have to be in like the 13 or $14 million range, which is four first-round picks. And Makar also has to sign that contract, and also the Avalanche have to not match it, which would ha it would have to be such an absurd amount. And even then, if it's such an absurd amount... They'll just find a way to make room anyway and keep them. They're not going to be like, ah, well, I guess we lost Makar and we'll have to figure out how to move on. No, that's not going to happen. Makar is going to be a member of the Avalanche until he does not want to be anymore. That's as simple as I can put it. There is no risk of an offer sheet. Offer sheets just don't happen in the NHL. And like even this one with Ajo and Montreal a few years ago, Carol, like I said, Carolina was essentially laughing at them, and they used the full week to basically hold Montreal hostage and make them unable to make moves because they can do that. So there's no risk of an offer sheet here. Makar is staying with the Avalanche no matter what. This is a completely different situation. So I think 9.5 between 6 and 8 years makes a lot of sense for both teams. I think we're going to come to a pretty natural conclusion with it. And even like, don't worry if this starts to drag on to the offseason. That happens a lot. It's like once you get done with like UFA, like unrestricted free agency and everything, and you get into the doldrums of the offseason, usually RFA stuff is the only thing left to talk about. So don't be worried if this starts to dribble into August even like it'll it'll get solved I don't think this is gonna reach into training camp but ultimately we'll see Makar is gonna be on the team next year I'm not worried about it at all there's really no bad amount here even if it is a shorter term contract like that just means we have a better window to go for the Stanley Cup now with a shorter cap hit but also means we're gonna be paying a lot more on whatever the next contract is. So I think for both sides, it makes sense to go long-term anyway and just get it done with. Let's not worry about this anymore after this season. If the next time we talk about Makar's contract, it'll be seven years from now. So just get that done with. Don't worry about it anymore and have Makar be your cornerstone guy for almost the next decade. That's how I feel about it anyway. But we'll ultimately see what happens with it. But I, that's definitely going to be the most significant contract that the Avalanche sign this offseason and probably one of the richer contracts getting signed in the NHL this season and probably for the next little bit. I mean, the, just the contract I've talked about makes McCarr the third highest paid defenseman in the NHL already. But we'll, we'll see what happens with it. I think it's going to get taken care of relatively soon, and I'm, I'm not losing any sleep over it at all. I think it's all going to get figured out at the end of the day. Sackick is a great GM. Makar is a great kid. These are just, it's all going to get worked out at the end of the day. I have, like I said, not sweating at all about it. It's going to get worked out. But that's about it on the Makar front. In the next episodes, we're going to talk about Jost and Saad, like guys that probably don't deserve to have an entire episode dedicated to them, like Landis, Scott Grubauer, and Makar. But we're going to get into all the, the other off-season stuff here soon now that we got like the big three. I'll call them out of the way. We're going to talk about Jost and Saad and if it's possible for Saad to return and what Jost's contract could look like. And basically like looking around the edges with players like that in the future. But also next time we talk, we're going to have a Stanley Cup final matchup decided no matter how these games go. 
Right now, Tampa's up 2-1 to one in the third period. I'm going to watch the rest of this game with sound once I wrap up here. And game six between Montreal and Vegas is tomorrow night. And even if both these series go seven, this Islander series will be wrapped up on Friday and Vegas will be wrapped up on Saturday. So when I record on Sunday, we're going to have a Stanley Cup final matchup in the wake. And we're going to be able to talk about that too. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you so much once again for tuning in. If you're tuning in now, even as we get to know Avalanche Hockey, I, I appreciate you. And I see your downloads and everything. And I appreciate all the kind words people have said over the last little while. But thank you so much for tuning in. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. And I will catch you all next time when we've got a Stanley Cup final to talk about. See you guys then.